Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. This is Doc Shauna Springer. On this episode, I'm going to be talking about how the trauma of the past couple years can drive us to extremes and create all kinds of conflict with financial decisions and how it can impact our closest relationships and some tips for how we can navigate that terrain. You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Compton-Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week... Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. Welcome back to the show, my friend. It is so good to have you here. This is an important, important episode. Over the last few years, there has been so much chaos in the world and likely some in your life as well. With money, this constant source of stress, relationships are really getting tested. COVID seems to have brought out these two extremes in relationships Typically, there's one partner that's embracing the idea that life is short and we need to get out and we need to experience life, while the other partner might be feeling really vulnerable and seeing a need to save money, more money for any future emergencies. These two opposites are really any money conflict in a relationship can be really tough to move through. Dr. Shauna Springer, she was a previous guest on this show, is back to illuminate money and relationships and share insider secrets to thriving during any conflict, whether it's now or in the future. Your relationship, it's going to thank you after this episode. I'm Shauna Compton-Game. This is Millennial Money, and I'm so thrilled to bring you this conversation. Let's jump in. Shauna, it is so, so good to have you back on the show. We're talking about some heavy topics today, but uh, hopefully we're going to really make an impact in a lot of listeners' lives. So thank you so much for being here. That's good to be here, Shauna. And 
you know, I often talk about heavy um, content and topics, but hopefully we can do it in a way that will really, as you just said, you know, help a lot of people. And I think folks will relate because it's been a heavy couple of years. It's been really heavy. We were just talking about that before we hit the record button. And I think it's really easy to not allow yourself to take some time to actually sit and just reflect on how heavy it's been the last, I don't know, year and a half now, almost going on two years. And I I know for me, I, I felt periods on and off where I've just felt almost like completely anxiety ridden. And I have to remind myself like, oh, we're we're still in the middle of a pandemic and it's okay to just allow myself to feel that way. Yeah. Like that's rational in this situation and to be expected. Um, and it's interesting the way that anxiety works over a chronic period of time. You know, anxiety that's acute is one thing, but uh, our natural state is to bounce back. And what do you do when there isn't really bouncing back because the new normal is this heightened state of vigilance and anxiety for all of us? Mm, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, you know better than us the the how to the how to actually do it. But we're going to talk a little bit about relationships, something that we mm -hmm. didn't talk about on our previous episode, and they're very complicated. Uh, mm -hmm. I think when we add relationship and money, things can get even more complicated. Mm -hmm. And I, I just to kind of start out because you understand this way better than we do. What makes relationships and money so complicated from an, an emotional side? Yeah, so money has such deep meaning for people in terms of the things that attract us and keep us in relationships as well, things like uh, security and, and safety, power, uh, control, you know, who has a deciding vote on things. These are all, as you put it, really hard things to navigate on lots of other dimensions in life, putting money aside. And what's happened is you know, you've got money as one of the primary things, money and sex, that people fight about, they have conflict about. Right. And so you've got that layering effect. And then over the past two years, you have this third plane coming in of um, trauma and the kind of trauma and anxiety that we were just talking about. And so every time you have like a different level of um, stress or a different level of complexity, everything can get turned on its head. And things that you thought you knew can really get called into question. Mm, yeah. And I wanted to talk about, you wrote an article in, I think it was Psychology Today, and you talked about this idea that falling in love is like smoking crack cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Very, very catchy. Very catchy, by the way. And you say in this that there is the striking similarity to somebody who's falling in love and and someone who is actually smoking crack cocaine. So I, I got to hear more about this. You know, how yeah. are those two things related, like on emotional level? I mean, we know that love comes with a lot of charged emotions, but pretty interested in how those two things kind of tie together. Yeah. So the research community has established through different studies that the brain pathways that light up when you're falling in love with someone are very similar to the brain pathways. And the chemicals that are released in that state are very similar when you're using crack cocaine and when you're falling in love. Um, and so the reality is a lot of us are making decisions about things that influence the rest of our lives when we're sort of on crack cocaine. Not that we intend to be, but you know, when right. you're in that state of euphoria, um, it's not a great place for making grounded decisions and being really thoughtful. And most of the dating and marrying that we do in our culture happens while people are still in the cocaine rush phase. Mm. So, should I yeah, go, go ahead? Okay. So, one of the things I'm really excited to get back to after my next book, which is going to focus on first responder trauma, I'm going to get back to all of this. So I'm happy to talk about any of this today. 
the relationship model that I developed in a book I wrote many years ago, back in 2012 now, um, for Marriage for Equals, still holds. And it's really stood the test of time with so many of the patients I've served and supported, the couples. So there's three phases. There's the cocaine rush phase. There's the testing phase. And there's that third phase called tested romanticism. I mean, I named it that um, because that's when things get really solid and secure and love gets really well established and grounded. But in this culture, a lot of us marry while we're still in that euphoric cocaine rush phase. And to the topic that we're focused on today, we overlook things that we should notice in our partners. We overlook the incompatibilities and the, the differences in our fundamental values because the thrust of that cocaine rush phase is that each of us is constantly making kind of an argument to ourselves about why this person, because they make you feel awesome, is your other half that you were always meant to meet and the one in a billion soulmate that you were so lucky to meet. And so when there are things that are not so great and not so compatible, we tend to rationalize those away and say, well, we complement each other really well. Um, and when you're really similar on something, then we say, well, we, we're just so aligned. We just fit so well together. So we make this argument in this really biased way. And a lot of times these issues with how we treat money don't ever come up before we get married, uh, really in, in all seriousness. And so, you know, that's another piece of the, the equation, I think. Yeah, I, I can totally see now from this uh, example that you just walked through that, I mean, this is the reason why when we're dating, we don't want to talk about money. Like we're in a euphoric phase. We don't want to bring up a topic that is potentially like a, a dead weight in the room. Yeah. Uh, so, so any advice for somebody listening, maybe who's in that falling in love state for how they could maybe see a little bit objectively while they're in this this real dopamine hit? Yeah, it's like, yeah, don't don't kill my buzz, you know. Um, <laughs> we need to collectively kill our buzz if we're going to stop getting divorced at the rates we're seeing. So, you know, in kind of a, a, an example of the opposite, when my husband and I were dating, we dated for four and a half years, which is a really long time. It's too long for people to really hide who they really are from their partners. Right. So if you're together with someone for four and a half years, you know each other's flaws pretty well at that point. You know what you're getting into and you figured out that you can work through stuff together. So one of the things is, you know, just being patient and not going with your instinct to just fall in love and then have this big romantic wedding. But really seeing that dating time as a time to figure out if your relationship has what it takes to last the long haul. And so you don't have to be passive about that. Actually, when my husband and I were dating, we went down to uh, Chile, South America, and we did uh, a trip together that was really unsexy, where it was basically... <laughs> A service trip where there was, you know, we were dusty, no makeup, sleeping in a weird place, really uncomfortable, different culture, not great food in terms of like our system. So GI issues, we'll just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> you know, just the opposite of this extended honeymoon that we try to create in our culture when we're dating. And I think that's a really important way for us to kind of think about dating differently is where we should kick we should kick some landmines and see what happens during that phase of our relationships we should accelerate into conflict and see how we can handle it because the alternative is you're legally bonded to someone and now these issues with fundamental differences about the resources you have the money you have are going to come up after you're already legally bound to your partner. And that's not easy either. If you survive GI issues with your partner <laughs> and being dusty and uh, I, yeah, that is definitely a, a good relationship test, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we just celebrated our 20th anniversary and, 
you know, oh, wow. marriage is hard. Like it's yeah. for both of us. You learn that you're not so great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's the hard part, right? Yeah, I know. It's like, wait a know? minute. I thought I was like the best thing on the planet. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, nothing like a good marriage to uh, disabuse you of your own delusions, our own delusions that, that were awesome. Um, I'm keenly aware of my many flaws after 24 years with my husband dating and married. Um, but I will say that, you know, there haven't been surprises. We we knew what we were getting into. We knew that we could work through these things. And, you know, right now we've been having a lot of conversations about when can we retire? What will that require of us? And so we're talking about money all the time right now. And it's not fun, but it's doable because we trust each other and we know each other. And so that's, you know, kind of what I want for, for other people as well. And definitely we've already established this, but COVID has shaped relationships. I think it was probably one of the ultimate relationship tests, but also just this reminder that life is short, it's unpredictable, uh, all of these things. We're just, we're looking at life a little bit differently. I really want to dive into your advice on the reality that at this point in time, you know, maybe one partner might be embracing this idea, life is short, we got to spend our money, let's let's have experiences, while the other person might be feeling wildly out of control and wanting yeah. to save money, build up security, and and maybe where there wasn't a financial conflict before, maybe there is is one now. I mean, how are you seeing this play out with couples? Yeah, it's really interesting. And I want to comment on a point you made because it's so true. COVID has been, for many couples, a dramatic challenge to their relationship. And um, unfortunately, many couples, you know, in our social circle have kind of quietly divorced over the past couple of years. I don't know what that data is going to look like in terms of people separating or divorcing, but um, I suspect, just based on my own experience, that there's going to be more of that during this period of a couple of years. And, you know, a really good example of that is I was talking to a mom last night and she said, well, my friend said to me, if I had known that I have to be with my husband 24 seven for two (laughs) years, I would not have married him. Like if I had known that was part of the deal, I would not have married him. And I really am envious of those couples that have, you know, separate residences and they get together on the weekend because that's like the cocaine rush phase, you know, prolonged over right. life course of a marriage, right? It's like all the day-to-day, like challenging, gritty stuff, paying your bills, not, you know, looking great, all that stuff happens when you're on your own. And then you come together and you have dates and you have fun and it's, you know, relatively relaxing, but that's not most people's life. Um so to, to kind of go back to your point, trauma and change is destabilizing for all of us. And it drives us to extremes. And it works in a lot of different ways, but especially around emotionally loaded things like money. Um, it can drive us to extremes. So, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't a big stressor in the relationship before, um, but then one person's job was, you know, at risk. And so the whole economics of the family situation was in jeopardy. Whether the person lost their job or not, maybe they were really deeply affected by that fear and that sense of insecurity. So that person might feel like, I really need to save up for a rainy day. I need to have a buffer. Um, I don't have any control. I could be laid off. You know, what if there was another pandemic? You know, this kind of thinking, kind of fear based, legitimate you know, based on something, it's rational, but it's fear-based thinking that that would make a person go to an extreme of, let's just save, let's just save up and not spend because we really need to have um, this, you know, nest egg in case something happens. Whereas the other person in the same relationship can be driven to the opposite extreme at the same time. So maybe their experience of the pandemic is, geez, I've been inside my house for most of two years. I feel like I've missed so much life. My kids have missed so many things they should have been able to do, go to Disneyland, you know, go to, you know, engagements with, you know, play dates, like all these things 
that are normal. And we haven't taken family vacations like we had planned and our trips got planned. And life is short. Life is short and you have to make the most of it. So then their partner can be moved to an extreme of, you know what? Like who knows what tomorrow will bring? We just need to enjoy today. And you can appreciate how the trauma that had nothing to do with them drove these two people who were happily married and kind of harmoniously getting along before the pandemic into these two very opposite, emotionally stark extremes and could create a lot of conflict in that relationship. So how do you even begin to bridge those two divides if you're if you're in this situation? I think the answer is in really getting to the level of understanding about um, the emotional impact of what has shifted for all of us. So, for example, you know, in your particular relationship, really taking the time to think about for yourself and have your partner think about and talk openly about that really deep level of how the pandemic has exerted a negative impact or a positive impact, you know, in some cases on each of us. And then looking at that from a place of honesty and transparency and taking your emotional armor off and saying, this is why I feel this way. And this is the driving need in me that I have. And and here is why. And explaining it not at the level that most couples do of like, why are you always spending our money? You know, like, right. I, I, I can't have that. Like, it's just at a level of just fighting, you know, at one level versus this is why it's so important to me to have experiences because I don't know what tomorrow can bring. And I realize that your need to have security is, is as valid and deeply rooted And I want to honor that because it's as valid as my feelings. So let's then come up with a plan that integrates both of those psychological needs to feel security and to feel like we have, you know, some savings in a predictable way, but that we also have a degree of spontaneity and a special, you know, fun that we can spend out of for like little vacations or little trips or things that will help both partners meet their needs. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout-friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding? or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical. If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. 
You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future too and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services, and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit sandyspringbank.com wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value. And so I would imagine that if a couple has that conversation and maybe it doesn't go so well, that's where maybe therapy or something like that could come in to help bridge those divides. Uh, Because sometimes the conversations just don't go as well as you have them mapped out in your head. Usually not, you know, to be, (laughs) to be fair. Um, and, And you make a really good point because couples coming at each other usually come at each other like Mack trucks and they get <laughs> totally overactivated in their systems. And the minute you go to kind of a place in the back of your brain where you're in that um, mode of my partner is the enemy, which is where we get to in conflict. And your only thought is I'm going to take them out <laughs> um, or fight my case, no matter what the consequences might be. We're not really logical at that point anyway. And so, yeah, a good doc, a good therapist will be able to create a space that's very hard to create for people. 
um, on their own. So we'll create this space where, you know, each person can be held in a safe place, but the conversation can focus on what's best for the relationship and allowing each person to talk about those deeper psychological impacts of traumas like the pandemic and how it's impacted their financial beliefs and feelings, and then kind of come to some compromise can be very, very helpful for people. So I don't want to make it seem like try this at home. Um, This is really, (laughs) really hard stuff. And you're very apt to point, you know, you're right to point out that this may be stuff that needs some help from a professional to sort of sort out. And curious also about what your perspective is. I mean, we, I've read, I should say, article after article about the pandemic also creating this time of reflection for people where maybe they decide they want to leave their career or they want to change their career. And obviously that's a financial conversation, figuring out how do we pay our bills and, and all of this. Really interested on your thoughts of just even how how this is all going to reshape our landscape going forward. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up, Sean, because I wanted to go there and had written myself one note for our podcast today. Talk about the great <laughs> resignation. Must be a Shauna Shauna thing, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a mind melt here, I'm telling you. Um, yeah, because you know, you've probably read articles about the great resignation um, as well, you know, being in in the line of work that you are in. And it's so interesting because it goes back to what we were talking about in terms of trauma driving people to the extremes. And anxiety will crap out at a certain point. So what I mean by that is a lot of people in my field tend to put depression and anxiety in different categories. And I don't um, because to me, it's very clear that they're very linked to each other. Like the same way that if you stay up for two nights in a row, your body's going to crash. If you are anxious for long enough, you're going to slide into a more depressive kind of helpless state. And that's like the body crashing in a kind of zoomed out way. So what's really interesting to me as a psychologist on a sort of macro level is that people at first during the pandemic were super fearful of losing jobs, of um, not being able to keep their jobs, not being able to keep their uh, current income. Uh, maybe not being able to find another job if they lost the primary job that they had had. So there's all of this anxiety and like intense fear of of, like losing security. And then what you saw was the flip, the opposite of it, which is to me pretty predictable is that after a while of being steeped in that anxiety, human nature goes, no, I'm not going to sit here anymore. I'm not going to feel like prey. I'm not going to feel like I'm, I'm, you know, prey and my employer is predator, I'm going to take control and decide, I don't really need this anyway. Maybe my whole mindset is wrong. Maybe I don't need to work this hard. Maybe I don't need this job. Maybe I need to shift my lifestyle and get rid of my stuff and simplify things so that I don't have a dependency on this income in the first place. And you saw this like global trend, really, not just the US, but other countries um, where People are saying, um, yeah, I'm not really going to be a career person anymore. I want to just enjoy my life. And that also comes from the same kind of thinking, which is we never know what's going to come. And so their way of adapting to the unknown is to say, I'm going to make the most of every single day that I have. And, um, you know, I understand that. I think it's going to catch up to people when they retire and they don't have anything saved and they start to have health problems. But I, I get why people feel that way um, for right now. And that, that's certainly been a trend. What are your thoughts? I, I mean, I think it's really interesting because, um, you know, I talk a lot about on the show, obviously, like figuring out what your values are, figuring out what you want your life to look like. And some of that feels very like, I don't know, how, what does this have to do with my money? But it has everything to do Mm -hmm. with your money. And I think so many of us, me included, I've been in this myself where we're just kind of going along with everyday life pre-pandemic and we're, um, we're just 
going through the motions and sometimes we're just get super comfortable and the idea of shaking that comfortable boat is really scary especially when it comes to money and if we already have fears and trauma and whatnot certain beliefs around money that that feels like i don't want to do that but i don't know i i just saw something in the pandemic from my perspective where people are are thinking well wait maybe i do need to figure out what i value or maybe i do need to figure out what my life looks like and maybe that's okay and you know maybe maybe somehow the money piece gets figured out in an even better way just because i'm now able to work in a career that maybe i feel more passionate about i don't know i mean so many people feel like that word passion is like oh you can't really do something you're passionate about but i i disagree i think there's a way to do it and there's a way to do it with strategy but Mm -hmm. i don't know i'm just i'm just really interested to see what happens going forward. Yeah. I mean, and also another piece I think with that is that you kind of alluded to this, that there's a lot of fear that controls us when we're at status quo. So we're trucking along and it's not just we're in inertia. We're just, you know, in a place of uh, stability and we don't change. There's a lot of fear that maintains that, you know, where we fear a big change. And so for many of us, I think the pandemic has thrust our greatest fear upon us. And um, as a result, it is now no longer an untested fear. And a lot of people, enough that I start to think, when will this hit a tipping point? Will have had an experience where their income got cut down or their job got changed or they had to take on a totally different lifestyle for a while. And then they adapted and adjusted and found maybe they weren't any less happy. And maybe they were happier because they got off of a treadmill that they didn't even know they were on. Right. And so now it's not this unknown like thing through this dark veil that you can't see through. It's this alternative life path that you've now had a sample of and it tasted good. And so (laughs) maybe you start to question all the things that kept you bound to some assumptions you don't need to have anymore. And I don't think that's a bad thing. As long as people plan for sort of the long term in that kind of planning, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's, it's just really interesting um, to see how that shifts. And to me, it just really shows the power of 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 your mind and your emotions on your money. And I think if everyone listening could kind of just step back and think about maybe how that's impacted their life, you, you'll see a lot of, I think, a lot of ahas that maybe you didn't see pre-pandemic, which is really interesting. Um, we didn't really talk about this on the last episode, but I wanted to just talk about it briefly. You had, from what I can tell, quite an interesting childhood that Talked to you, yeah. taught you a lot about relationships and fear and exploration and probably a, a lot. Tell us a little bit about like how you grew up and 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 how that led to to what you're doing now. I did have an interesting childhood, so I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to, to what we were just talking about, I don't think I had an awareness of it. I remember, um, gosh, I was in senior year in high school, and you know we have these different you know high school awards. And they announced the award for like the most community service hours. And they gave me that award. And I was shocked. I never thought, you know, why are they giving me this award? Um, Apparently, going to South America every summer and embedding (laughs) with different groups and families and being of service to people all summer long was um, put me... (laughs) You know, kind of at the at head of the, you know, kind of group of people that were engaged in kind of community service in my high school. But I didn't think of it that way. You know, it wasn't like there was nothing about that whole experience that felt different to me because it's all that I knew. My brother did it. My sister did it. I was sent at age 10 down to Mexico City to work with a family I had never met. I was by myself. And you know, they gave me a photograph and said, find this family and, um, you know, make yourself useful to them. And so it was really very much a part of the culture of my family growing up to um, to have uncomfortable experiences, 
because of the value of being of service to people and to be grateful for what we have and to not be spoiled. I think my parents did not want to raise spoiled kids. And I grew up in an area where that was a risk, you know, an area of great affluence. And they were looking around saying, how do we counterbalance that? And so their solution was pretty extreme, I guess, in retrospect. Um, But it did certainly give me lots of experience embedding in cultures that were very different from my own um, and building trust with people who had very different walks of life and, um, you know, learning to, to care about, to genuinely care about people um, from all walks of life. And so I think now in my work with warriors and, you know, it's not just warriors. I want to sort of support everyone who suffers from trauma I think some of those early experiences prepared me for what I do now in terms of developing compassion and empathy and seeing how strong people can be. Um, I don't want to sound like the back of a self-help book here, but um, at the risk of, of, of sounding that way, you know, I do think some of those experiences were really formative for me and tested me and shaped my character in ways that um, are were hard, were hard but have been also valuable. Both are true. Some people would say, gosh, you had a traumatic background. Um, And I don't really see it that way, although certainly some of it probably was traumatic. I also think it it has helped me to see things other people don't always see. I have often a different perspective on some things than other people, like about our relationship conversation earlier about what is the purpose of dating? It certainly isn't to create an extended honeymoon. I know that's fun, but in the long run, what you really need to know is, am I with somebody that can weather the test of time and the strain that life brings and create something that's truly sustaining and long lasting? That's what you have to figure out there. And we have to think differently if we're going to figure that out. Totally the opposite of how we date and marry now. So things like that, I think, um, you know, come from those experiences and I get to write about them and and speak about them and and help people along. Very interesting. And I would also imagine seeing inside different cultures, I I would just have to imagine that taught you all sorts of things about money and the, the value of money and maybe even some of your money beliefs. Yeah. I mean, I think we talk about research on how much money do you need to be happy? Or if you don't have a lot of money, does that necessarily mean you'll not have a happy life? And the research is theoretical. To me, that is not theoretical. When I've lived in different cultures where, and I'm certainly not the first person to observe this, but where people are rich in connection. And so I've kind of taken that and, you know, considered my husband and I, we're we're rich in friendships. We're rich in connection with so many wonderful people in our lives. And to me, there are other forms of wealth. I mean, this could be a whole podcast episode or a little article I've been thinking about writing, but we think about wealth as money, the bottom line, what you have saved, you know, your liquid assets and all of that stuff. I don't think about wealth that way. I think about wealth as Uh, not only, you know, sort of security, which comes from what I'm talking about in terms of assets, but there's other kinds of wealth. There's the wealth of having the trust of your employers. So whether you're a contractor or an employee, um, having my employers or the people that contract me or ask me to speak, trust me and give me that ability to manage my own time and know that I'm going to work so hard because it's in me to work hard. I work because that's who I am. It's because I I love this work and it's meaningful to me. I do not need somebody telling me to punch a clock. And I would rebel and have a real issue if somebody tried to do that kind of thing to me because that would feel like offensive to my character. So having the trust of the people that help you pay your bills is a kind of wealth to me. Enjoying your coworkers, like really liking the people that you work with, that's a kind of wealth to me. Having a number of people in my life that I can talk to openly and honestly about whatever challenges come up for me, that is definitely a kind of wealth to me. 
and having a relationship where I know that my partner has my back and really respects me in this marriage and supports me and knows that, you know, the work I do is so important to me. And that if I go, you know, to a retreat with 20 Marines that um, it's, I'm going to be trustworthy, all of that, it's a kind of wealth. So I just think we need to think about wealth differently and quality of life differently to shift our overall um, experience of how we move through the life that we're given. Wow. Yeah, that's, it's so, so powerful. And just kind of last question here, we've, we've talked about if we're in a relationship and uh, money and stress and trauma, we've talked about the dopamine hit when we're dating, but what about, what advice would you have anything different, I guess, if someone is maybe newly engaged so they're kind of like between those two extremes is there anything that they should do or conversation that they should have in order to uh really i guess figure out what their money values are and maybe have some of these uh these really important conversations yeah i mean about money or anything you know you could sort of you know you know what bothers me about your mother <laughs> kind of <laughs> approach it's like kick kick a few hornets nests um and see where you take it so in terms of money you know if you're engaged and you're not married that is actually the time to have those conversations way better to have those conversations when you're engaged than when you're legally bound to someone to ask questions like um and this was in my first book marriage for equals i'll get back to it again at some point but you know in your family of origin, when you were growing up, how was money managed? Who had the power and control over the money? Did both people in the relationship or your caregivers both have equal say? If not, why not? Um, you know, was money saved or spent? Um, was money ever used to control you? How have you managed your own money? Who gave you an education about money? Have you ever um, gotten into debt? What did you do to get yourself out of debt? Have you ever made any mistakes about your money that have made you really anxious or shameful? Um, these are the kinds of things that if you're going to marry someone and commit to be with them, you should be able to have these conversations. And if you feel yourself recoiling at the thought of having these conversations, I would suggest that that's a red flag for you to attend to because you're going to have to have a lot of conversations like this after you're married and some that are much, much harder. Um, if somebody gets, you know, a health problem or other things that life brings us will happen. So I would recommend, you know, in a safe way and perhaps with support, as you pointed out from somebody who's professionally good at creating safe space for couples to have this kind of premarital um, work where you really look at those things and you get on the same page about, to your point, what are the values that drive your money decisions? Let's make them apparent to each other and let's make them operable in our relationship. And let's talk about how we're going to manage money. Does it feel more comfortable for us to have a one pot system or a three pot system? Uh, maybe you don't want to have to ask each other for permission to buy a little thing for yourself. Maybe a one pot system is really important to both of you to feel, you know, close in a way that feels important to you. It just depends on the couple and there's no wrong way to go. The only wrong way to go is to not check your assumptions about what your partner is driven by and what you're driven by and not test those things before you get into a legally binding relationship. Well, Shauna, you are truly a gem. There has been so much good information. This this feels like uh, therapy 38 minutes. So thank you for that. <laughs> My I would love to. I would love for you to tell the listeners where they could go to find out more about you, to buy your books. Where do they find you? Thank you. Um, so Doc Shauna Springer, D-O-C-S-H-A-U-N-A-S-P-R-I-N-G-E-R.com is my main website. And you can find out information about my books on my website. The one that I'm really excited about right now is Warrior how to support those who protect us. I wrote this with our warriors in mind, warriors and first responders, but there's been so much in that book that relates to the trauma that we've all experienced in the last two years that I've done just tons of different 
articles and media engagements around the insights in that book about how we navigate trauma. And so from that book, I've added a whole extra section about the pandemic um, in the back and brought out a second edition. So that's really for more of the general population to benefit from that new section. And then I'm doing a lot of um, paid speaking, which I'm really liking virtually, mostly, and I, I don't mind talking virtually. I like it. So on my website um, is another place if if anybody knows organizations that are looking to bring in a speaker, I have a speaking page and would love for people to know about that as well. And also another really important resource is StellaCenter.com. I'm the chief psychologist for Stella Center. We have 40 clinics across the U.S., and we are really innovating in the space of how we take care of folks with trauma and chronic stress. So StellaCenter.com is another resource. Wow, this conversation really hit home for me. I just loved Shauna's advice about how our money stories and personality really play into relationships. And if we don't talk about them, we just start assuming all sorts of things. I am admittedly not always a fan of talking a lot. You can ask my husband. But I know that for a relationship to thrive with a sticky subject like money, we've got to be honest, open, and just really willing to hear each other out. So hopefully this episode brought you some great tips you can take home to your own relationship. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor, share it with a friend or family member, anyone who you know would like to hear this important conversation. As always, you can head to the show notes for all the links to our episode guest, as well as our amazing episode sponsors. I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go, we want to say thanks for listening to this episode of Millennial Money. For all the links, tags, and ads you've heard on today's episode, check out the show notes or go to mmoneypodcast.com, where you'll find more episodes to share with your friends. While you're at it, leave us a review and make sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss out on all the money tips and tricks that will take you from a millennial regular to a millennial money expert. See you back here in a few days with a fresh new episode. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio.